0: it is roll up time ryan what are we doing
1: we are rolling up the week in crypto this is the fastest way to get your week in
0: crypto news what do we cover david We cover the market. What is the market saying? It's saying a lot this week, by the way. Uh, Then we go into releases. What got released in the last week? Then we go into the news. What's happened in the last seven days of news? Then we share some takes from friends in the ecosystem that we think is interesting. And then lastly, we finish up with what David and Ryan are excited about. Awesome, man.
1: So this comes out every Friday morning
0: with your morning coffee. So please enjoy on YouTube or on the podcast feed. David, you ready? Uh, yeah, let's do it. There's so much to cover this week. It's the first week of the year. And there's just the most amount of news we have ever had on a weekly roll up. So it's going to be jam packed this episode. All right. Happy night 20- is the world's most trusted cryptocurrency exchange. I've been a customer of Gemini since I first got back into crypto back in 2017 and it has been my main exchange of choice to make my crypto buys and sells. Gemini is available in all 50 states and over 50 countries worldwide and on Gemini there are markets for over 30 various crypto assets including many of the hot DeFi tokens like Wi-Fi, Aave, Uni and also they are one of the few exchanges that has liquid die markets. Having both the option of logging into the Gemini.com website or instead opening the Gemini mobile app has allowed me to be able to access any and all exchange and on or off ramp services that I've needed to on a moment's notice. With instant deposits and fast withdrawals, I'm able to make my money do the things I want it to when I want it to. You can buy crypto safely and securely on Gemini with the peace of mind of knowing that your investments are insured and protected with industry-leading cybersecurity. You can open up a free account in under three minutes at geminicom bankless. and if you trade more than $100 within the first 30 days after sign-up, you'll be gifted a free $15 bonus. Check them out. Now, Gemini.com slash go bankless. Synthetix is Ethereum's decentralized derivatives liquidity protocol. What does that mean? Synthetix is a platform for creating and trading synthetic assets, which are assets that are priced via an oracle rather than bids or asks. Traders can use the Quenta exchange, which hosts and trades all of the synthetic assets created by Synthetix. Traders on Quenta can trade synthetic tokens like SBTC, SOIL, or SDFI. Because Quenta is powered by synthetics, traders experience zero slippage on their trades. No, I didn't mean low slippage, I meant no slippage because that is the power of the synthetics platform, no slippage on your trades. You can also easily short assets with iSynths, which are synthetic assets that move inversely to their target asset. Synthetics isn't just for traders, developers can build on synthetics to access the infinite liquidity offered by synthetic assets, or investors can stake collateral to the protocol and earn fees that the protocol collects. If you're a trader and you're looking for a trading platform not found in the legacy world check out quenta.io if you're a developer or you just want to earn yield on your collateral go to www.synthetics.io where you can stake your snx or eth and earn fees from synthetics
1: all right happy 2021 to everyone let's start with bitcoin dude it just hit 40k
0: 40K, as we're recording but, this <laughs> yeah like 20 minutes before i recorded and then wow it actually like three thousand dollars right afterwards but it's, okay uh, it, it's uh still up there still pretty close to 40k which is pretty insane uh bitcoin has doubled its market cap in the last like three weeks that is crazy that has never happened before ever
1: wow that is like absolutely we are in the bull market and um if you look at all of 2020 uh, this was an interesting headline this week. Bitcoin actually closed 2020 as the best performing asset of the year. No, of the decade. Of the decade.
0: Wow. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. Incredible. Uh, so there is, I feel like at this point there is, uh, I don't know what the line is, but like you, you, you never get fired for investing in IBM. This is the point where like Bitcoin <laughs> people like won't get fired for investing in Bitcoin. I feel like we're crossing that bridge. The best performing asset of a decade is unignorable asset managers, money managers, like there's now like stronger deniability with investing in Bitcoin at this point, which I think is just really strong tailwinds.
1: It's definitely on the radar for institutions everywhere. Even J.P. Morgan. So J.P. Morgan set a long-term price target at Bitcoin. A Bitcoin uh, just this week for one hundred and forty-six K. David, you think that's bullish or bearish coming from uh- J.P. Morgan?
0: My price target is higher than that, but JP in <laughs> a bank uh, that used to be bearish Bitcoin now saying that Bitcoin is going to reach almost $150,000. I don't know how they came to such a sp- accurate number, $146,000. That's very specific. Um, I haven't read the article. Maybe I should have read that before we got into this. Uh, but still, like banks setting extremely high price targets for Bitcoin. I think the coolest thing about this is that um, banks are understanding or legacy institutions are understanding that this industry moves in exponentials. It's not that Bitcoin is at 40000 and then next year it's going to be 55000 They understand that Bitcoin is going to, you know, put on five times or something its market cap.
1: Absolutely. Okay, speaking of exponentials, Ether, the price of Ether has been on a tear lately. Wow, what did we do over the last seven days?
0: Yeah, we over the last seven days, we have climbed from just $750 to just under $1,300. Mind you, the all-time high price for Ether is $14,000. $20. Twenty dollars. We are still have a little bit to go. This kind of feels like when Bitcoin was hovering around the nine thousand mark, really flirting with all-time highs, but you know, making sure it really milks the you know crypto Twitter and all of our attention out of it, saying like, when's it going to break all-time high? When's it going to break all-time <laughs> high? Now Ether is doing that same thing, just dancing right under all-time highs. That's going to be really a really fun day when it finally breaks. Ether's just teasing us, guys, but it did break something. It broke its market cap all-time high,
1: of course, which. Ought uh, 145 billion or so. And of course, Mm -hmm. market cap all time high is different than price all time high because over the last couple of years, Ether Mm -hmm. supply has increased at a rate of about 4% or so per year. So we've already broken that number, David. Mm -hmm. The only thing left is that magic number of 1420. So, guys, 1420 is the all-time high number to beat. And as you talked about on Sea of the Nation uh, last week, David, do you remember 2018, 2019 bears when mm-hmm. everyone was saying ether would never hit its all-time high again, it was just a flash in the pan, a brief moment in time with the ICO search. And now here we are, David, right on the cusp, mm-hmm. uh, pretty exciting. And I feel
0: vindicated, <laughs> at vindicated, least because yeah. we've been talking about this for the last two years, right? Yeah, you know what I was doing when Ether was like $100 and people were saying that Ether is going to go to zero. You know what I was doing that time, Were you, Ryan? Were you crying,
1: David, or were you I,
0: like? No, I was pulling out my calculator and I'm and <laughs> calculating how much ETH I had and how what how much money I would have if Ether made it back to its all-time high. That was two years ago, and now we're almost at that point that I envisioned when I was pulling out that calculator for sure it's uh it's it's pretty
1: exciting times for all of crypto and especially for those eth bulls who who've been hanging in the trenches over the last 2 years also for the defi bulls so the defi pulse index
0: just hit 180 that's an all time high as well right yeah, DeFi tokens are, are are heating up, right? They still really haven't had their day. Uh, today, actually, y- uh, YFI, one of my favorite assets, uh, finally broke through its like 24,000 mark to jump all the way to 35,000. Aave is at an all-time high of 120 plus dollars. Uni is moving up to six and a half dollars. So DeFi tokens really strong, but still haven't stolen the show yet. And that is something that we'll talk about later in this weekly rollup. Uh, I think that that is coming. You know, what's interesting about the the Uniswap market cap
1: is, right, is like um, somewhat people are going to start benchmarking that with the Coinbase mm-hmm. uh, IPO market cap because like Uniswap at brief moments last year surpassed Coinbase as far as exchange volume. So you you, you have to wonder what's a better buy at these prices. Is it the Uniswap token or mm-hmm. is it the Coinbase IPO?
0: I guess we'll see. Yeah, there is such an easy comparison between Coinbase, which is going public on a stock market, which with Uniswap that's already public in DeFi, right? And doing comparable amounts of volume. If you are trying to get into and gain exposure to the DeFi ecosystem to leverage all the principles that DeFi offers, uh, Uniswap is a perfect asset for that with a legacy comparison. And that legacy comparison is theoretically going to go public at $50 billion where Uniswap is under $2 billion in market cap. There yeah. is some alpha there.
1: There is p- possibly some alpha. Now there, there, you know, some critics of that sentiment would say, hey, it's a governance token. It doesn't have the cash flow guarantees that something like Coinbase uh, would have. And and fair enough. But uh, as we've talked about before, these are emerging as DeFi capital assets. So we think that comes into play soon. You know, the other thing, when we talk about bull markets and how it's face melting, this Mm -hmm. is the kind of thing we're talking about. Like, I didn't even know. We hit 22, over 22 billion Mm -hmm. in total locked value in DeFi. And I didn't even notice. David, it seems like only yesterday we were celebrating 1 billion total locked in DeFi. Here we are at 22. Just last week, it was like 15. What's going on, dude? My face is getting melted.
0: Yeah. For, for listeners who uh, listened to last week's weekly rollup, we were at 14.4 billion locked in DeFi. Today, we we're at 22.8 billion locked in DeFi. And I remember making a tweet, uh, something along the lines of uh, in 2019 that, uh, hey, like uh, we, uh, locked uh, value locked in DeFi just hit $10 billion. And that was last week and no one noticed. And like the same thing's happening with 22 billion. No one's really seems to be surprised. I think the next stop is really going to be a hundred billion dollars. Just like uh, there's a conversation we're going to have later in the episode, but things move in exponentials.
1: Yeah, I'm just feeling nostalgic, right? It's like the only, <laughs> only time we celebrate this stuff going to be like from one, we celebrated that in 100 billion, maybe. We'll have to see yeah. if that's the case. The Another thing to celebrate, I suppose, is it. this almost passed me by too. Mm-hmm. We have 1 trillion market cap if you look at all crypto asset market caps in total. So this includes Ether, this includes um, uh, Bitcoin, this includes all the DeFi assets, some other things too thrown in. 1 trillion market cap. The world's gotta be paying attention to an asset class that has grown from zero 11 years ago to $1 trillion, don't they? Yeah, and $1 trillion is a big number. Nothing more to say about that. Okay, we've got a few other things uh, that we could talk about. One is a 2020 asset returns summary. If you look at just like 2020, The standout assets were Bitcoin and Ether. So Bitcoin was up 300% over the year. Uh, Ether was up 469%. The NASDAQ had quite a good year, but that was 44%, right? So again, low numbers, (laughs) low numbers. Gold had a good year at 25%, but we're in crypto and we're like, oh, you know, 460%, pretty good year, man. You know, (laughs) it's funny to see the comparison.
0: Yeah, anything below 50% is bearish in my mind. That's because <laughs> I'm spoiled and I'm in crypto. All right. Um, we also have Ether, like,
1: just chewing up um, gas fees, like, all-time all time high in terms of transaction revenue. We'll talk mm-hmm. about that more a bit later. But, like, one-day fees for a day last week, it's driving $20 million in <laughs> oh uh, transaction fees, right? So, like, give me EIP-1559 <laughs> yeah. so we can burn some of that Ether and make Ether, a better store of value. Uh, Another interesting thing, I think,
0: in the context of like number go up, price go up, Number go up is good for security, right, David? Number go up is Ethereum's security mechanism. That's exactly right. Uh, According to this tweet, if you are watching on the YouTube, it costs over a billion dollars to obtain a 66% stake, which is how you, if you want to be at the helm of Ethereum, that's how much it will cost you. And then you also have to be willing to burn that money. And again, as Ether price goes up, uh, that number just goes even higher. Ethereum, as, as number goes up, Ethereum becomes more secure. What a great safety mechanism.
1: Yep, becomes more secure, more healthy, also more trustless economic bandwidth, as we talked about before. Okay, that's market. Let's get to you. releases. This is an interesting one. What's going on with Shapeshift?
0: Yeah, Shapeshift run by Eric Voorhees, a pretty prominent libertarian. Uh, Shapeshift used to be this uh, platform where you could uh, set up a trade where, like, you want to send Shapeshift, you know, one asset, and then Shapeshift will send you back a different asset, very much like like a, a centralized exchange. It is a centralized exchange, except the cool thing about it is it doesn't never ever holds onto your funds, so it's relatively atomic. So, like, if you want to trade your Bitcoin, they would give you a Bitcoin address, and then you would also put your Ether address, and you would receive Ether from the exchange so you never actually had to, to deposit anything and because they weren't storing users funds they didn't take kyc the sec didn't like that and uh so they made shapeshift take uh take kyc which kind of was kind of killed their business model so it I sounds wait, like was it the sec or was it more FinCEN? I don't i don't know where I f- it came no. out of uh listeners double check me on that anyways okay. top-down regulators said you must do kyc Eric, he's a famous a famous libertarian didn't like that but complied regardless and so now they are pivoting to something different that allows them to remove kyc once again they are going from an exchange a typical exchange into a dex aggregator uh which doesn't which doesn't require kyc um and so it shapeshift once again not a kyc exchange cool yeah. And what's
1: neat about this is like they're they're basically going to be a DEX aggregator like a one inch, right? And this mm-hmm. is another example of of protocol sync thesis, right? So now that these DeFi protocols are available, exchanges are deciding to build on top of them. And in the case of Shapeshift, they're like, we're getting rid of what we did before and completely switching out our architecture. So pretty exciting. We're going to have Voorhees on actually next week, right, David?
0: Yeah, Voorhees is coming on the Tuesday State of the Nation. We're going to talk about this transition from a exchange to a Dex aggregator, and then we're also going to talk about regulation because I know Eric has very strong opinions about that.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Okay,
0: another interesting thing
1: that's going that's happening is um, Van Eck. Just proposed an ETF, a Bitcoin ETF. Once again, if you mm-hmm. recall, many of these Bitcoin ETFs in the past have been have been shot down by the SEC uh, in one form or another. But now, what's different? Uh, we have a new SEC chairperson, uh, so taking the helm, and and also a number of these more nefarious, I would, uh, I would, or these gray sort of exchanges have right. been uh, actually shut down by right. by the SEC, right? So. Um, BitMEX comes to mind, of course. So, exactly. you know, this might be the timing, I guess is what I would say. And wouldn't it be ironic, David, if this bull market ended with a Bitcoin ETF
0: just in sight, right? That was like right. close to the top. I don't know. It's possible. Uh, what do th- you think? I think the so so you're, you're exactly right. One of the biggest reasons why we haven't had a Bitcoin ETF yet is was cited because so much of um, Uh, Price discovery happens in offshore exchanges. That was the explicit statement of the regulators as to why they are not approving a Bitcoin ETF. But that was statements made before BitMEX was shut down. And I don't know if you've noticed, but ever since BitMEX has been shut down, there have been very few BARTs. Uh, the market has been very, very stable. Price wait, quite- wait, wait, wait. Tell someone what a BART is. If- <laughs> a BART, <laughs> a BART is. is when like Bitcoin or Ether just jumps like $3,000 up or down. Uh, what what The the speculation as to what was happening is that people would use BitMEX, very large, wealthy individuals, whales would manipulate the market. They would go um, what's called sniping for leverage longs or leverage shorts. If there were too many people leveraged long, they would take their Bitcoin, they would dump it, they would collect the liquidation penalties of people on Bitmex, and then they would just buy it back, right? And so they would pocket themselves, you know, five percent, ten percent on their Bitcoin. Extremely shady stuff. Extremely uh, non-desirable to, for retail, and extremely undesirable for an ETF. That ended when BitMEX uh, went away. We haven't seen any BART activity since BitMEX went away. The market, the the price discovery is happening more and more inside of US regulated exchanges. That makes things like FinCEN and the SEC and CFTC much more uh, secure in a decision around the ETF. So this is the first ETF that's been proposed since that has happened. That is a big difference here with that. And I'm optimistic that this is going to happen.
1: Dave, the SEC's got to do something, right? Because there's no way for retail yeah. to get in on this market if they have like funds. This is a retail no protection story. Way. It is because if you look at the price of like the, the trust products from mm-hmm. Grayscale, which you
0: talked about before, mm-hmm. right? Um, they're completely out of whack. Uh, yeah. Did you th- notice the the Grayscale Ether uh, price in the last week? Yes, I did. It's crazy. It went down while ETH price went up, which is ETH absolutely price almost insane. doubled. Yet the ETH E price, uh, asset, the trust out of Grayscale, went down in price. So if you... I know, so like due to the SEC's inaction, retail is getting ripped off because we don't
1: have good Ether and Bitcoin ETFs. Right? Mm-hmm. It's it's absolutely crazy, and guys. You you guys can avoid this, of course. We we recommend that if you have like a an IRA or something that you like. Uh, use a self-directed IRA something like Rocket Dollar could help you could, you could try
0: that but for most of mainstream like they're buying these crappy products because mm-hmm. the SEC is forcing them to buy them right they're buying they're buying a product with 150% premium which means they're paying 100 and $1.50 to access $1 worth of ether and like this is no fault of grayscale this is just normal market yeah. activity because there isn't an ETF so come on regulators <laughs> let's let's start protecting retail here yeah, please guys. Okay. Uh, future swap V2 beta. So this is uh,
1: more options, more futures mm-hmm. on Ethereum. This is a product that came out of the summer due to overwhelming interest. They actually shut it down and they wanted to make sure that they had security take. and And they're launching. David, you think this is the year for
0: options and futures products on uh, ether like DeFi native ones? On-chain futures, on-chain options. That's exactly right. A little-known story that I think is underappreciated. FutureSwap opened up their alpha on-chain, and they also had this the one of the very first yield farms before it was called yield farming, before Ooh. COMP was even issued. The FutureSwap was the initiation of yield farming, and it was a very uh, dampened story. And the reason why it was so dampened is because so many degenerates aped in like ten million dollars, <laughs> right. which they which FutureSwap was not ready for, and so they prematurely. They shut it down because people wanted the future swap governance token again this was before comp was even issued and so because people yolo'd into all their money into uh future swap in order to um, farm the future swap governance token it received a, like a crazy amount of success and then they said like no no more this is crazy we don't want this much money these contracts are unaudited they shut it down and that was before DeFi summer now they are finally releasing their product on chain with the swap V2, again, part of the story of 2021, I think, is that on-chain futures and on-chain options is going to be a thing. And this is that story unfolding. Also, kudos to them for shutting things down and doing something
1: that is more responsible, right? A little bit yeah. of a self, self-regulation self there, I suppose. Capping the,
0: right? capping the degeneracy, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay, YAM is a food token speaking of uh, degeneracy a food token that has now pivoted into a fully fledged DAO, and it's pretty exciting because they're actually releasing products here's one of them anything else you want to say umbrella is one of them it's an insurance product sort of similar Mm -hmm. to nexus mutual i suppose uh anything else you want to say about uh the the yam dao story david
0: yeah, I actually haven't researched this product too well, but the people that I trust have and they say that this is an insurance product that is uniquely different from Nexus Mutual, a viable competitor. And I do agree with you. The interesting story about this is not only that there is a new viable competitor for insurance in DeFi, but that it is a new protocol that is owned by another protocol. That is pretty cool. Absolutely. Uh let's talk about
1: this too. This is a transaction builder that someone came out with, which I think really illustrates, right? So like, David, you were responsible for coming up with the money Legos meme, right? Like uh, little known fact guys, David doesn't yeah. like to brag about that, but like he came up with the money Legos meme and now we see it everywhere. Yeah, it's and an open this source meme, it's an open as all memes are. And this mm-hmm. is a, uh, an example of somebody actually building a product on the many money Lego
0: meme. It's called DeFi Legos. And what does it allow people to do? Yeah, uh, well, I think the, the UI is a little bit simple and I think it's going to get built out, but basically I think the long-term vision of this is like drag and drop transaction ordering and transaction creation. And so it it has a number of different options, right? You can deposit from Aave, withdraw from Aze, flash loan from, from Insadap, um, and do a bunch of other things, trade on Uniswap. And it allows you to construct a transaction all at once. So if you want to execute these things all in one transaction, it allows you to do that. And that used to be a, a ability that only the solidity experts were able to do and now this is a ui for people to recreate a complex transaction just by filling in some fields i think that this is a really cool uh really underappreciated possibility i think there's going to take some time to really refine how this works austin griffith has a, another product that's kind of similar to like this that's literally like kind of like microsoft paint and then you like drag and drop <laughs> in different like features and options saying like well i want this to connect to this and then i want this to happen if this happens it's kind of like an if this then that Uh, builder. Uh, I'm really bullish on like drag and drop money Lego transaction builders. And that seems to be what this is. Super cool. Programmable money, guys,
1: is super cool. Speaking of programmable money, this was an interesting um, post that came out from Coinbase about some programmable functionality that they added to USDC. They did this actually, I believe in like uh, August or or September, but this article sort of talks about how they did it, how they made it upgradable. What do you think the takeaway is here, David?
0: Yeah. Yeah. The really cool thing about contracts on Ethereum is that they are upgradable. And as we come to understand what we can do in Ethereum, what Solidity is able to do in the code, uh, we come up with new and better things that we want to be able to execute on, which means our old contracts become outdated however whoever uh, uh, deployed the contract at usdc deployed an upgradable contract and they actually finally used that upgradable contract to add in some new features uh and so literally the us dollar on ethereum got a software update there are now like larger and more diverse buildable surface areas on usdc and so i think that's something that is uniquely compelling about ethereum is that assets can get software updates and still be the same asset that's pretty cool
1: yeah i mean think of a an in update, so like the, the technology that we use for paper money is is basically paper, right? It wasn't always the case. There was a time where we used uh, coins, but like when we switched to paper, that was sort of a, a software, uh, I guess a, a real world yeah. update of hardware. some form. That's a hardware this update. A hardware update. This is kind of like like similar in that we can change the medium around. We can add features to our stable coins and to our money mm-hmm. on the software layer. Super cool stuff. Yeah. Um, all right, David, let's talk releases, my friend. Actually, never mind. Scratch that. <laughs> we just did that. Let's talk news. So the big news of the week is this OCC news. So this is the um, the Office of Comptroller of Currency. So this is like a big banking regulator in the U.S. that Brian Brooks uh, now runs. The big news of the week is that federally chartered banks. So these are all U.S. banks right now. Um, the OCC clarified that these federally chartered banks can now facilitate stablecoin transactions payments on their own using public networks like Ethereum translate this for us david what does it mean
0: yeah, so yeah, this just means that uh, banks can use USDC to settle payments between each other. Uh, I think that's going to be just a boon to efficiency and money transmitter services. Uh, I I think it's just it's just the logical conclusion of this industry. This is the entire thesis of like the, this crypto economy is that we can use blockchains to do our old things better as well as new things. Um, I have a prediction coming out in the Bankless newsletter, uh, which everyone should uh, tune into. Uh, it's coming out tomorrow, 2021. Uh, 2021 predictions. I think plenty of banks will adopt this service in order to facilitate payments between each other. Um, and but my spicy part of this prediction is that none of those uh, none of the efficiency and none of that value uh, captured, the value uh, the increased value of being able to do this is actually going to be passed on to the end user. I still think we're going to be it's taking 1 to 3 days to pass money between each other and there's still going to be limits and that's just going to be a boon for retail adoption of this industry. That's my prediction. So you think banks are going to continue to be rent seekers, even as they
1: deploy stable coins Mm -hmm. and not just use USDC, of course, they can uh, deploy any stable coin they want on these Mm -hmm. banking networks. The regulator clarified it for them. Um, I I think what's happening here, David, is that like our prediction, our bankless prediction of banks becoming Ethereum sidechains like ledgers. Off of Ethereum is starting to come true using Ethereum as a, a settlement layer for this sort of stablecoin transaction. So, super exciting, po- possibly the most bullish mm-hmm. news, yep. <laughs> I'll say of the year, right? Because this is a short <laughs> year. It's definitely the most bullish news of the year. <laughs> bullish stablecoins, bullish Ethereum as mm-hmm. a settlement layer for them pretty exciting i think
0: overall when um, also, will banks when will a bank ledger turn into an optimistic roll up now that is an interesting question
1: yeah and who will be the first i i, I can guarantee you it won't be uh, jp J. morgan in france <laughs> it's not going to be wells fargo either <laughs> <laughs> exactly um speaking we were speaking earlier about grayscale um you know like at, at some level uh, the, the products that they have I'm glad that they are available to retail because it's better than nothing. But Barry Silbert, you know, Grace Grayscale's kind of um, founder, uh, talked about the growth that they've seen in 2020 from two billion to over 20 billion in assets under management. And the cool, the interesting thing about this is he expects another
0: 10x this year, 200 wow. billion in AUM. Wow. Wow. That's a big prediction and I'm with it. I think that's an accurate prediction. Yeah. We had Michael Sonnenschein, CEO of Grayscale on the podcast. If you want to learn more about that. And yeah, to, to, again, to no fault of their own for Grayscale, like it, it's kind of ripping off retail, but that's a result of market dynamics. And it's specifically a result of the extreme demand. The, the fact that like, if you buy a, uh, one, you need to buy $1.50 worth of the ETH E trust to get $1 worth of ether. That's not because of grayscale, that's because ether, the ETH E trust is in such high demand. That's just how that works. And so it's kind of market forces that's ripping off retail. So again, no fault to their own for grayscale. Congratulations for getting $20 20 billion in <laughs> It's a pretty money. good business. Yeah. Well
1: done, Barry. <laughs> pretty good business to be running right now. Um, all right, let's talk about the uh, the Biden administration. So we, we've been talking a lot on Bankless about this proposed rule uh, that was coming out of uh, FinCEN. Um, Mnuchin was behind that, of course, a Secretary of Treasury, who is not very fond of of crypto. But sure. if like what could happen is that this entire proposed rule could be like just paused Deaded. indefinitely, right? Deaded, and, yep. mm-hmm. and why? This is just new administration stuff. Is that is that kind yeah. of why?
0: Yeah so any any um any proposal or rules that have not been formally integrated into law by the time the Biden administration comes into office in January 20th Biden says None of them are going to happen, um, and I don't think Biden specifically cares about the l- law or regulation that we care about, the FinCEN rule. Um, however, it just falls into the category that if it's not finalized by the time Biden gets in, he's cutting it uh, just because he doesn't uh, <laughs> doesn't agree with Donald Trump's decision making or any of his friends, Steve, like Steve Mnuchin. Uh, <laughs> fine, that's a that's a win. I'll take it. Yeah, so that means Mnuchin has to get this in
1: before the 20th, or it's not going in, or it's dead in the water. But if he does get
0: it in, I'm a little bit concerned that it stays Mm -hmm.
1: in, maybe, David?
0: However, there are over 6,000 comments that they, by law, have to review in, before they can get this <laughs> in. So there's a lot of time that they need to, to spend to review all those comments. So maybe am optimistic it doesn't go in. The crypto industry maybe spam attacked them and that'll delay it. Well
1: done, guys. We did it. <laughs> we'll see. Um, also, not, it's not good news, again, and kind of like the... Uh, the crypto banking side of things mm-hmm. a, a crypto bank called Bitrex, which is an exchange just delisted their privacy coins monero dash and zcash i'm not sure if they were getting pressure from regulators yeah. against privacy coins or is this was just like uh just in case our lawyers advise us to delist um, but this is not good david
0: Yeah, Bittrex isn't the biggest exchange. So I'm kind of curious as to why they decided to become first to delist privacy coins. Um, I actually don't know if, if, I know Zcash is on Gemini. I'm pretty sure it's on Coinbase. I'm pretty sure Monero is not on Gemini or Coinbase. Um, Dash, uh, we don't have to talk about Dash. I don't have a strong opinions about Dash. Um, but yeah, it's, it seems weird that that Bittrex is is kind of going first with trying to deal with these, these things. I feel like there, you are right. There is a story behind the scenes that we don't know. But overall, I don't like that. I don't like that um, this industry is taking action to protect themselves against regulators that also removes choice from users. This is why we need DeFi, guys, because guess what? Uniswap cannot does
1: not have the power to delist your coin. It's permissionless; anyone can list anything. They can't shut it down. That's why we need these solutions to preserve our freedom. Of course, Jake uh, Travinsky, our favorite crypto lawyer, reminds us that in the U.S., actually, privacy is a constitutional right. So we do have some of these freedoms baked into the the Constitution. Uh, it just remains to be seen. Whether these exchanges, which are private businesses, will will follow them or not. It's it's definitely disappointing if centralized exchanges start to mass delist these privacy coins. But do you know what's interesting is is the workaround, once again, is DeFi, right? Ethereum, for example, is developing a privacy layer. Some technologies like Aztec, for example, mm-hmm. um, they, they can be used to to uh like make a transaction, a die transaction private. So right. We we don't have privacy on the base layer of Ethereum, but we do have protocols that can add that privacy back in, and that might be a nice backdoor to preserve this this uh, monetary freedom that large governments are t- seemingly trying to take away, and maybe exchanges right. are trying to take away as well.
0: Yeah, I've never really been compelled by the need for privacy to be integrated into one specific asset like we are seeing with Zcash or Monero. I've always thought that privacy is a service, not a not a not an asset, right? And I would rather have the ability to have my my ether or my DAI go through Tornado Cash or Aztec if I wanted privacy. So then I can keep my exposure to ether or my exposure to the U.S. dollar and have that be private. To me, that just makes more sense. I don't understand why I need my own L1 to have privacy. But again, that's a different conversation than what's going on here.
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a good conversation though. Um, speaking of DeFi, Uniswap had an incredible year. I mean. T- if you were to name one breakout DeFi protocol that was just like yep. amazing, yep. it's got to be Uniswap. They did yep. just did everything right. Liquidity on Uniswap just passed a 3.1 billion. That is approaching an all-time high. The cool thing here is now they're doing it, David, without these uh, these uni liquidity mining incentives, right? Mm-hmm. So like, a lot of DeFi summer was different protocols turning on the juice by providing governance tokens. Uniswap's not doing that, and they're still approaching their all-time high. Pretty incredible story.
0: Yeah, I wrote a article that a very short article in CoinDust recently that was all about how yield is only almost basically only existent in Ethereum. A 30-year treasury note is below 0.9% APY. Triple A corporate bonds are below 2% APY except if you are interested in digital assets, a hybrid 50-50 ETH USDC position netted you a 35% APY over the year of 2020 if you were providing liquidity in Uniswap. That's why they don't need uni incentives, because they're still getting 35% on their USDC Ether position. That is a lot of APY. You know what's
1: embarrassing is that, that banks still call them savings accounts. Right? Like savings accounts. What are you talking about? I'm I'm making like 0.1%. It's not a savings account. <laughs> yeah. Numbers stay the same account. <laughs> <laughs> no one's saving their money in those things. Not seriously. All right, David. Um, Iran is closing down some mining operations. Uh, why does that matter? What's the story here?
0: Yeah, we've previously talked about Iran on the weekly roll ups. Pre- uh, previously, they were uh, forcing mining operations to sell the Iranian government their BTC. So the, the Iranian government wanted a monopoly on the ability to purchase BTC from, um, from mining operations. And the thought there is that, you know, BTC is permissionless. Iran is not in, uh, able to use the US dollar or global payment networks due to sanctions. And so they need the, they need the Bitcoin. And the only way that they can really get their hands on Bitcoin is through their own miners um, i'm going to go ahead and guess that the illegal mining operations are ones that were not following this rule i think the uh the country of iran is just going they probably claim these for themselves this is probably now at this point the iran the Ra- iranian government is straight up by- mining bitcoin so that they can fund their own balance sheet because they don't have any other way i think that's what the story is here so do you know what else is interesting too? It goes back to our conversation
1: that we we had. We put out a podcast uh, just this, this Monday with uh, Vitalik, right? And he talked about one difference between proof of work and proof of stake is actually proof of stake can be more censorship resistant. Why? It doesn't have this massive energy profile. At the end of the day, who controls the electricity grid? Like mm-hmm. the nation state has a role in that. We can, we can see that you are like, you, you have a, a grow up, right? Or mm-hmm. we, we can see that you are mining like massive amounts of BTC. You're, you don't have a, a light profile there, mm-hmm. right? Whereas yeah. with proof of stake, we can run it on a consumer laptop, right? Mm-hmm. So I do think that is a hidden benefit possibly of proof of stake versus proof of work. And it's bearing out here. Like if a nation state has mining... Um, that's going on that it wants to control it can identify who the miners are and shut them down if it wishes
0: yeah proof of stake does not have a real world footprint that's the takeaway that is the takeaway all right let's get into some if you want to live a bankless life you need to get a monolith DeFi visa card Monolith is a one-two punch of both an Ethereum smart contract wallet and an accompanying Visa card that lets you spend the money that you have in your Ethereum wallet everywhere where Visa is accepted. When you swipe your Monolith Visa card at the grocery store or at a restaurant, it actually makes a transaction on the Ethereum blockchain that spends some of the money you hold in your Monolith wallet. It's insanely cool and it's one of the best tools out there for living a bankless but still normal life. Monolith also offers on-ramp services for getting your fiat money into the world of DeFi. So it's trivial to top up your Monolith card if you ever need to, and your deposited money goes straight into your non-custodial wallet, so your money is never held by a centralized intermediary. Because Monolith is native Ethereum infrastructure, The money you hold in your Monolith wallet still has the power of DeFi behind it. Swapping assets on Uniswap or earning yield in DeFi is at your fingertips. Go to monolith.xyz and sign up to get your Monolith Visa card today. Aave is a borrowing and lending protocol on Ethereum and just recently released Aave version 2, which has a ton of cool new features that makes using Aave even more powerful. With Aave, you can leverage the full power of DeFi, Money Legos, Yield, and Composability all in one application. On Aave, there are a ton of assets that you can deposit in order to gain yield, and all of those same assets can also be borrowed from the protocol if you have deposited collateral. Here you can see me getting a 200 USDC loan against my portfolio of a number of different DeFi tokens and ETH. I'll choose a variable interest rate because it's a lower rate than the stable interest rate option, but I could choose the stable interest rate option if I wanted to lock that interest rate in permanently. One of Aave's V2 features is the ability to swap collateral without having to withdraw your assets, trade them on Uniswap, and then deposit them back into Aave. Aave does all of this for you all in one seamless transaction, so you don't have to repay loans in order to change the collateral you have backing them. Check out the power of Ave at Ave.com. That's A-A-V-E dot. All right, let's get into some takes. This
1: is a, a first, this is a, a, a strong uh, Ethereum. <laughs> I don't know if you call him an Ethereum Maximalist. If he is, he's like one of the few Mac- Ethereum Maximalists yeah. I know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, but great. what is this take from Anti Pro?
0: AntiPro, yeah, says: ask 10 different people which blockchain they think is second to Ethereum, and you'll get 10 different answers that right there is why ethereum has already won i I haven't heard this take before and i really really like it what anti is saying is that there is no consensus on a second place to ethereum therefore they the whoever would be included is probably like a fourth or fifth or sixth. there is no runner up to ethereum ethereum has the lead and it's probably going to keep it because there's no other viable competitor so speaking of ETH bull takes, this is the the week for ETH bull takes let's let's do an ETH bull take from our
1: friend Raul Paul what's he what's he saying here.
0: Yeah, Raul Paul is comparing Ether this cycle to Bitcoin last cycle, saying that the prices are really similar. And he thinks that as a result of that, Ether is going to follow Bitcoin in price leading up to Bitcoin, perhaps, or Ether almost touching 20K, I think is the takeaway here. Uh, Really interesting to see Raul Paul being specifically really bullish Ether. Uh, He has a huge following and a lot of people listen to what he says. Absolutely. And he's been particularly
1: harsh on Bitcoin maximalists lately, who are who are basically saying, hey, Good. Bitcoin is the only asset that will ever appreciate in value. And Raul Paul is just looking at it more objectively. And he's saying, um, that's not what's happening. That's yeah. not what's happened historically. That's mm-hmm. not what the price charts are saying. That's not what sort of the, uh, he, he even looks at like active addresses mm-hmm. versus ETH price. And he shows like a similar correlation, actually, like, a um a higher growth rate of ether versus bitcoin so his conclusion is basically more objective he doesn't right. have a religious preference on this he isn't even mm. like bankless he doesn't even care about being bankless right, right. um he, he told us that on the podcast he's mm. just looking at it and, and being like oh ETH, to me, looks a lot like Bitcoin
0: in 2017.
1: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, I mean,
0: Maximus. Yeah. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter what your religious beliefs about crypto are. The fundamentals behind Ethereum speak for themselves. And that's what Raul is tapping into here. Absolutely. Here's another take from a
1: DC investor. And I really like this take. He's comparing Ether market cap today to a bank market cap. What's What's he say here?
0: Yeah, he says Ether at $140 billion market cap just passed Citigroup's market cap at $135 billion, just one bank. Ethereum is a permissionless protocol that will eat all banks. Uh, Ether, the market cap of Ether equaling one single bank in the United States means that, uh, to me, that the market cap of Ether is extremely undervalued to this day. Uh, I expect uh, Ether to be worth more than one bank in the future it's kind of an interesting conversation
1: of like how you define the total addressable market size of a thing, right? There, there was a time where we thought like the total addressable market size of Uber was like maybe all taxis, all taxi fares in the world. Um, but it turns out it's it's far beyond that. It's a multiple of that. It is a multiple of that. And, and the reason is because like people can start using Mm. uber more than they ever used uh taxis right like i'm gonna get rid of my car and just use uber so it turns out that at lower cost so uh this is also what dc is saying i think that like hey the way we think about the market cap of of these things uh the total addressable market cap for ethereum is obviously many multiples of a bank it's not even valued at a bank stop a stock right now so so he's making the case that it is uh under undervalued for sure. Um, you made an interesting case this week too in the opening note on Monday in Bankless, where like you you talked about, and this is probably from your experience living through 2017, right? Well, you mm-hmm. talked about the reflexivity. This is a, a term um, from George Soros, I believe, that really uh, resonates, I think, with what w- what goes on in crypto markets. Can you tell us what reflexivity is and like what's just happened?
0: Yeah, reflexivity is people reacting and making decisions based off of other people's reactions and decisions, right? And so it, it this is when the crypto markets, this is why crypto markets generate like these hype cycles and bubbles that ultimately do burst, right? Is because people are basing their decisions on other people's decisions and not about fundamentals. And what that's what happens when Bitcoin blasts through $20,000. We lose the ability to like chart and do technical analysis if that's what your deal is. We lose the ability to measure fundamentals. People price in future growth uh, extremely aggressively. And we just kind of lose ground with reality, right? In, in, in to maybe to use the moon metaphor, we are perhaps launching into space, but in space you have no foundation, you have no footing, you are kind of floating, you don't know how to evaluate these things because no one else knows how to evaluate these things. So everyone's kind of just using their best guesswork. And because things are disconnected from reality, uh fundamentals are irrelevant and reflexivity takes over and that's actually partly why something can go and become really really bullish is because we've lost reality with the fundamentals and because there's almost nothing stopping ether from doing something insanely i'm gonna say stupid and going to 10k because like i'm I'm, I'm gonna tell you ether is not worth 10k but that doesn't mean it's not going to go there it's just I don't think the fundamentals back it up, but it's still going, it's still probably going to go there because reflexivity is in and fundamentals are out. Interesting. And crypto market cycles, of course, are reflexive up.
1: There are also reflexive down. If you live through 2018 and you saw Uh, 2019 and you saw an ether price decline of 95%, you can attest to that. They are reflexive. They go way under what they should be priced at as well. So you're saying we're going to see that and we've already entered maybe the early stage of this reflexive market. So what what, what people tend to do in the early stages of a bull market, I think, are they actually like um, undersize how big this thing could get. And that's what you're saying here. Like Wait for mm-hmm. it to get stupid because it has every other market. That's what reflexive markets do. They get really stupid. Yep. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. All
0: right, um, David, let's go to uh, what, what you're excited about. So what are you excited about this week? Yeah, what am I excited about? I'm excited about alt season. I'm going to say it. Um, <laughs> the, the cycle to me, and this is not something that people should plan on, but if we want to be extremely rough, the cycle goes, Bitcoin goes up, then Ether goes up then tokens go up. And then and then maybe there's a correction. I think we are about to enter the phase where tokens go up. And that's and that's uh the other half of this take is that the crypto market cap just passed one trillion dollars, and when people see that, their reflexes will tell them, "Wow, FOMO! I want to get in." And when and people, I think, have a hard time understanding exponentials in this world. We tend to think in linear growth. You know, the S and P grows at seven percent a year. Well, you know, Bitcoin and Ethereum, they average one to two percent per day. To on on some of their years which is pretty insane that reflexivity i think is going to kick in now that we just passed one trillion dollars in market cap the next stop isn't two trillion the next stop is 10 trillion dollars this industry grows in exponentials and part of the way that that implies a 10x 10x growth in, in in the assets across the board right i don't think bitcoin is going to do a 10x that would put bitcoin at four hundred thousand dollars i don't think bitcoin's going that high uh and i think the the way that we get from a one trillion dollar market cap to a 10 trillion dollar market cap is growth in altcoins in low market low market cap coins that go from something like 10 million dollars and then they grow to like 200 million dollars that's where I think the bulk of this market cap growth is going to come from and how we get to a market cap growth of $10, $10 trillion, it's alt season. I think alt season is coming. That's going to be pretty fun to watch. Uh, also, hold on to your pants.
1: I uh, I agree with a, little, uh, a lot of what you said, David, but I, I've got to say,
0: I hate the term alt season. I know man. you do. I do. You know I do. I know like, So do. my question is like, is ETH an alt to you? No, ETH is not an alt to me. To, to me, uh alts are do do we have to use this term anymore like yeah uh, i think we do because why because they all tend to move as a group right and and they is like the the assets and coins that maybe maybe the the category is like certain market cap so maybe it's like and i wouldn't say like Uni is an alt or YFI is an alt like I think we could be more strategic and precise about how we categorize them, but if they all start moving at the same time and they're distinct from ether and Bitcoin. Then we need to categorize them at some point in time, and I know you like to categorize them and I'm totally agree with you as like capital assets or store of value assets, but. The capital assets or store or whatever assets those type of categories don't categorize the the kinds of tokens that all tend to pump together, and it's usually just if I don't know how else to categorize it other than alternative to Bitcoin and Ether.
1: I get so I get what you're saying there from like a trader's perspective right if you're saying hey like I'm looking at cycles and then this happens generally and then this pattern happens and then that happens right so like there's there's some seasonality in in cycles so I guess I see it from that perspective, where I think it's misleading and where I think. uh, Particularly like maximalists overuse the term alt is they tend to think of anything that's not Bitcoin is an alt right and what they mean is like kind of like a um a fake bitcoin something that is like scammy and won't accrue value long term and the other mistake they make is like so ether is not an alt of 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 bitcoin like alt was a term that came in like 2013 2014 where you had like litecoin and right. all bitcoin of these forks. Bitcoin forks. Right. And I, I think that's still a good term for Bitcoin forks, but it's not a good term for Ether. Ether has an entire economy behind it. It's also not a good term for um, DeFi tokens. DeFi tokens are like capital assets, yeah. as, as you were saying. Right. So it's like it's not even competing with Bitcoin right. as a money. It's more competing against like like stocks. Right. right. Um, so that's why I hate the term alt, but I understand using it for like the the seasonality cycles. Right. As long as people like understand that
0: mm-hmm. there are these distinctions there, I'm yeah, good call, with it. Calling uni or calling Wi-Fi or comp or whatever, calling them an altcoin definitely does not do them justice. And it definitely doesn't do anybody who's trying to learn about this ecosystem any justice at all. There's a much bigger picture behind the scenes. But again, at some point in time, when the bull market comes, those those fundamentals don't matter because reflexivity kicks in and reflexivity is going to kick into lower cap market cap coins. And I guess we just call them alts. Yeah, I got you.
1: I I hear you on that. Okay, Ryan, what are you excited about? Um, I'm excited about like right now, it's hard not to be excited about price, right? Like Ether, Bitcoin exceeding all-time highs. People said it was dead, would never happen. Uh, Ether on the cusp of exceeding all-time highs, right? People said it was dead. People said it would never happen. That's what's really exciting right now in the market, but it might not always be the case. So like, I guess some some thoughts as we're entering a, a bull market, I know you've given some some good advice on this recently, which is like, have some sell targets too, okay? So like what David just said about market cap going up to, to 10 trillion is not a certainty. It's not a for sure thing, right? Like we don't know. So don't um, put all your eggs in that basket. Don't do stupid things like get, in over leverage or like, you know, get into kind of margin positions uh, that you're not comfortable with, have some sell targets and stick to it. But one of the most important things I think uh, that that you could do this bull market is be comfortable holding through some temporary pullbacks as well. Right. Mm -hmm. So what can happen in a bull market is you can get like uh, a few weeks or a month and you can get like 40%, 40% even 50% pulled right markets. that doesn't necessarily mark micro bear markets that doesn't necessarily end the entire uh, bull market but it, it does shake out a lot of the people who are there like um that just kind of FOMO in and, and now, yeah. now, now they think the bull market's over so they're, so they're gone so if you want to participate in this entire cycle, you've gotta be comfortable as well, holding through a 40% drop. Don't sell just because uh, right. you see something to that effect. So this is kind of a mixed message here. If like, you gotta to keep to, your, to your, your sell plan, make sure you have a number and stick to it, but also be ready, expect 40% pullbacks. Doesn't mean we are knocked out of a bull market yet. Um, that's what I would say to kind of end this. David, anything else?
0: Yeah, definitely. In 2021, all the listeners here, if they plan on sticking through crypto through 2021, you will experience pain. Your (laughs) portfolio is going to go down multiple times. We are experiencing perhaps a version of euphoria right now with Bitcoin at 40K and Ether just below all time high. It feels great we are going to feel the inverse of that. You need to know that that is coming. It's naive to think that it's not. So be prepared for it. Pain always comes. And you can definitely get out over your skis if you are not ready for that. So make sure that you know exactly what you're doing and you are prepared for pullbacks. Absolutely. All right, guys. So of course, uh, we say these things, but none of it is financial
1: advice. It's, It's just kind of based on our experience. Bitcoin, Ether, DeFi assets are risky but we're glad you're with us on the bankless journey. This has been our weekly rollup. Thanks a lot.